Hello listeners, welcome to Film Fandango. This podcast is sponsored by Her Film Project, an organisation that helps unheard voices to make films. Why not support them by going to at Her Film Project on Twitter and following them or checking out their website, herfilmproject.com. Now, uh, this is a more serious start to the podcast than usual because I have some sad news which is that having spoken to the normal host David Reed, who was on paternity leave we have decided that film Fandango is to come to an end after pretty much six and a half years on 300 and so episodes this will not be the last episode this there will be four more including this one um, the reason we've decided to stop doing it is because it is a lot of work um, and we both want to pursue other projects. David Reed will be doing his Inside the, Me- Inside the Comedian Very Funny podcast and I'm going to start a new podcast called Marek Makes a Movie in which I'll be talking to filmmakers, which is something I'm interested in, and then use making a film using the donations if there are any or what they are in t- to make a feature film or a film of some sort and i'll put details of those on our facebook and twitter meanwhile i would like to very much thank all our listeners over the years for being so supportive and anyone who's written letters in and especially to those people who've donated to the podcast which has helped us to carry on for so long i hope you've enjoyed it i hope you enjoy these last few episodes and uh, we're doing another podcast so you don't be upset anyway that's the announcement and let's carry on with this week's episode hello listeners um welcome to uh well what is now um going to be one of the last for a while film fandangos um but this week i'm lucky enough to have an old friend as a guest. Many of you, actually probably about less than 1% of you, may have seen a film called Magicians, in which I made my film debut approximately 10 years ago and have not been in a film (laughs) since. My fellow Stooge, um, who we had an interesting time filming that with, lives locally and we met whilst in the cinema whilst going to see Star Wars it is my friend Tim Plester hello Tim hello Marek hello I haven't seen you for a while now we were both compelled to go and watch Star Wars Star Wars because there's nothing else on and also I feel an obligation as a child of the 70s to uh, to turn up and, and give it my money every year but I, I think I'm going to stop you, the anger I saw Furious. yeah you didn't Fury. hold back I think there was a few expletives, yeah, but there were, there's no choice. We were just talking before we started about having to do a new film every week, and that there's no way you can you can escape Star Wars unless you go to art house films. But most, what is interesting is, in terms of people listeners, a lot more people listen to the Star Wars review. Well, of course, naturally they will do. 
That's what you're up against. Even the art house cinemas have to show Star Wars at Christmas. It is because of Star Wars that this podcast is dying. Well, no, it's but why we're doing this though. Yeah, exactly. Because I wouldn't have seen you there. Yes. And we wouldn't have arranged to, to do this. This is the only so good thanks, that's come out thank of Star, you, Star Wars. Wars. Yes. Um, did you. I say Star Wars? I can't know what I said. Anyway, um, would you have happy memories of magicians, Tim? I do, yes. Um, All I remember is the magician with a silver face um, yeah, called Magibot. Magibot, yeah. And we referred to Mr. Fucking Silver. Well, no, because somebody, yeah, somebody um, had said that to him. Because we were filming, it was the day we were filming in Nottingham, yeah. the theatre there. And somebody had shouted at him across the, the, the car park, which he, and then he recounted this to us of, oh, hey, Mr. Fucking Silverface or something. <laughs> so that amused us greatly, I remember. But that kept us going for a long time. Yeah. And I was actually back in Nottingham last year, and I found myself in an Indian restaurant opposite that theatre. Oh, really? The first time I'd been back, so I was, I was kind of reliving the magician days. The dream. Went a dream. Um, it was a dream. And I wish we'd gone into this Indian restaurant when we were there in Nottingham, because on the wall was uh, a rogues gallery of people who who had been in. Oh, really? They, they were all there. Bob Carroll G's had been in. Um, guy from 321, Ted Rogers. I mean, he was quality. Oh, all were 1970s. Quality, quality stuff. Michael Prade, the first Robin of Sherwood. They were all up on the wall with their signatures. And it was... I could have stayed in there for hours. Anyone who'd been in there? Hank Marvin. Really? Yeah, oh, God, they were all there. So that must have been the, the only place open after that. They'd done a gig. Was, Nottingham, was Nottingham exactly. Playhouse, was it? Nottingham Playhouse, yeah. You told me, um, I always remember bumping into you in the street in Crouch End a while back and you told me, because uh, uh, Peter Capaldi was in Magician. Yeah, yeah. And you said you used to um, occasionally run into him at the gym. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you remember this story, but you also used to, this was when he was doing Doctor Who. Yeah. And you used to amusingly say to him, how's it going? Up to anything at the moment? Yeah. Is it busy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He used to, Peter Capaldi, so I used to sit in the gym, and it's that weird thing when you do a job and someone talks to you afterwards, and then years go by and you see each other less frequently, and then that talk sort of just goes to a smile and then a nod. And then <laughs> he lives around the corner from me. And I mean, our careers can have gone on a more different path. <laughs> and now he nods to me now. It's gone down to a nod. You still get the nod, though. I still get the nod. He was a very, poli- he was a very polite man. He came and introduced himself to us while we were yeah. playing Top Trumps, I believe. That's true, yeah. We were playing, yeah. What Trumps were we playing? We might have I been think we might have been two ho- Top Trumps. It might have been a ho- either Marvel or, ho- or horror, horror. horror. The classic, classic horror, horror one. Yeah, yeah. I do have a good collection of those. Have you? And I've got some great actual Doctor Who Trumps as well. The artwork on the horror ones was great. Yeah. Especially there's one who looked like he was killing someone who looked like my dad. I found really Talon. I think he was called Talon. Scared the living. It had a man in it. It looked yeah. exactly like my dad yes. when I was that age, and I found that really traumatizing. I thought for a second you might be saying the jailer. Oh, the jailer. He was scary as well. The jailer's Not scary, but rubbish. Rubbish, points. but yeah. scary to look at. <laughs> Death. Uh, no, can you remember him with the little, yeah. the really sharp fingernail? He's what quite close up. It was you're right in his face. Yeah, he's yellow. It was the equivalent was of those good. YouTube videos where something jumps out into your face. That was the equivalent of that. I think he had a death rating of 100 or something. He was a good one to get. 99. Yeah. He was, he was top. There are, some, there are horrific pictures for... I'm going to have to get those Would you let later. your... How old? No. You've got a four-year-old. And a, oh, no. No way. What age would you play those top trumps with them? At least another year. Yeah. Five, maybe. Five. Um, I'd, I'd probably take the jailer out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't find the Jada that scary. <laughs> There's something, I think he's hunchbacked. It's maybe, I'd have to look at it. If there's an element of truth thing. about the jailer, that's what makes him more scary. That, that's yes. what I got talent. I thought that could be my dad. I mean, you could talk about those horror top trumps for at least two He's episodes. Pecking someone's neck, isn't he? Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, okay. Is that the, that guy looks like your dad or Talon looks like your N- dad? No, the guy he was pecking looked like my dad in uh, around 1982. <laughs> so very Which is different when now. When the pack was, you know, yeah. been playing it as well. When it was in schools, when everyone said to the first kid to bring him in. Great, great well, I'd stuff. love it if you see if you see Capaldi again, you know, and you're still getting the nod. Ask him what he's up feel, to. Yeah, do what you're up to now. How's that thing going down in Wales? That's still happening. Yeah. Are oh, you not doing it anymore? What happened? They, what, they sack you. It's not go. It's not happening anymore. The Welsh thing. It's, did you ever watch Doctor Who? Or do you? Uh, watch Doctor I, Who? I watch it sporadically. I mean, I was a big fan of it as a as a kid, and then I, I mean, I really enjoyed Matt Smith when he was. Oh, really? Yeah. Watch those. Certainly, the first series that he did, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, and then I kind of dip in occasionally, and I always like to watch a regeneration. So uh, yeah, they're yeah. good bits, aren't they? Before you knew, or when it before. Well, bit Peter Davison was uh, uh, some uh, my just at the end of Tom Baker. Peter Davison. Yes, yeah, I, I liked a bit of Davison. Yeah. Well. Then it went. Then it went a bit wrong, didn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, he was shit. What's his name? Um, Baker. The other Baker. Baker. And the next Baker. two. Next two is shit. And then we'll yeah. get McCoy after that. Don't talk about him. Um, anyway. We're a bit off topic, though. This, this is what happens with this thing. Good. Um, so, first of all, so I met Tim, and then Tim uh, said that his film, his documentary, was showing on at the uh, Crouch and Pitch House. So today's podcast is going to be, we're going to talk a bit about that, and then we're going to talk about uh, three uh, billboards in Ebbing, Missouri as well. So we talk about those two. Not a real place, Marat. Really? No, it's not a real place. That's good, isn't it? That may have... Has that tarnished your thinking? Not really. Yeah. Right. But let's talk about um, the Ballad of Shirley Collins, first of all. Yes. So you made... This is your second documentary... Yes, second documentary, feature-length documentary that I've made with my uh, co-director, Rob Curry. The first one was called Way of the Morris, which came out in 2011. Uh, and it's taken us this long to why is second. it? Why is it taking you so long? Just because of life, children, or funding? I would say it's probably all three of those, yeah. So uh, I've got a four-year-old daughter now. Rob's got two kids. Um, so that, yeah, takes a certain amount of time up funding is always problematic when you're you know chipping away at the at the bottom of the of the pyramid um and it also took uh, that long because of the nature of uh the story of the ballad of shirley collins which um so shirley collins uh for those of you who don't know which is probably most of you um uh, is 83 year 83 years old now uh, and she was uh, a big cheese in the folk music scene in the 60s and the 70s in this country, in the UK. Um, and then she lost her voice in 19, about 1980, 1979, 1980, she lost her voice and kind of disappeared. Um, and while she was away from the limelight, her interest in her grew and her records became very collectible and a whole new generation of people kind of came forward and discovered her music even though she wasn't 
um, recording anymore. So we originally set out. Um, so it is connected to Way of the Morris. What's different about Bow of the Shirley Collins to anything else that we've made before is that we were actually approached to make. Oh, really? I, I was yes. going to ask you whether you, how you found um, a fascinating um, subject like that and how she, how if you approached her. Because I just quickly say, the Way of the Morris is basically about your um, family roots in Morris dancing. Yes, in Oxford, and, yes. and you follow the Adley, is it Adley Village... Adderbury. Adderbury. Adderbury Village dancers. Yes. And um, it, there's something about both of these uh, films which is really great, which you... I mean, it's always weird when you go and see someone's documentary and think, oh, am I going to like this or not? I really, lo- <laughs> <laughs> I really loved it. I really love, I really love both of them. And they feel, uh, we talked about this a bit before, but really quintessentially sort of English. With, and it's really hard to be English without crossing that line of, because especially all the whole Brexit thing of yeah. being sort of, you can't put a St George's cross without being. If you see that in a window, it's uh, racist. Know, yeah, right wing politics. And this um, really hard. Yeah. And this really reminded me, sort of growing up in the sort of seventies and eighties, and that whole sort of weird country, sort of villagey sort of type thing, where nothing really happens. So people just do weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. weird things. But they both felt. I felt quite calm after watching. When you know you go spend a day at the beach or go for a walk in the country. I felt like as if I'd gone for a walk in the country after watching both of these documentaries and I felt soothed by the sort of... I don't know what it is, which is a really yes. nice feeling that yeah. you feel soothed by it. Where it's all the stills you use and the sort of, love, the sort of beautiful vistas. But anyway, that's, that's sort of a bit of background. So you, you got approached to do Shirley Collins then? Yeah, so <clears throat> um, a music promoter called uh, John McMahon... Uh, who'd been working with Shirley because when she wasn't uh, recording music she was still doing talks about um, music and, and roots of music um, gypsy music this trip that she went on in 1959 with uh, an American ethnomusicologist called Alan Lomax which is that part is, of our that's story. incredible isn't it so she would be talking she was she would do talks about this and, and John was involved with that and John was who had the idea of you know basically thinking somebody should make a film about Shirley um, and he had seen Way of the Morris, uh, and Shirley had seen Way of the Morris as well, which was what was great about it. So when he then approached a producer called Paul Williams, and Paul Williams um, knew me and Rob and mentioned this, it all kind of fell into place that we had made Way of the Morris, Shirley had seen that and loved it, and thus if anyone was going to make a film about her, she was happy for it to be me and Rob. Ah, and that explains a lot, so, that how you get that... So I wanted you to approach her. I suppose if you have to make that first documentary to get that trust, so I mean, people know you're going to do see a project through and have that feel and the sort of um, it helps sincerity or better or sort of I don't know, trustworthiness. I don't know what it is. No, I mean it really, it really, it really helps. I think if you've got something, you can show somebody to say, well, look, this is what we did before. Um, this is you know, this is our CV, if you like. Yeah. Please, you know, trust us to do to do right by you and and. I think what was helpful about Way of the Morris is because it was my family, that was actually quite an easy film to make in terms of earning people's trust because yeah. they all knew me. Uh, they were yeah, literally my family or family friends who who I'd known my whole life. So that, that was never a problem uh, with that. I mean, it was different with Shirley because even though um, she trusted us, she was a different kettle of fish in terms of 
uh, you know, she wasn't related to me, uh, and I, you know, I didn't really know her. Plus, she is somebody who's written a bike. She has written her own biography, okay. so she has quite a clear idea of her public persona and how she wants to uh, present herself. And actually, making the Ballad of Shirley Collins, a lot of that time that we spent making it was trying to ascertain ways of if you like short circuiting pat responses that she had to questions yeah she yeah. was used to being asked the same question again and again and again and so she had a standard response to it and over time when we went to see her do things and hear her talk to other people we would me and rob would look at each other and go that's the fourth time i've heard that exact same anecdote even the, the inflections the pauses are literally the yeah same. so how do we try and um get beyond that, that and that was fascinating when you when you had to uh, taking her to her old places and sort of seeing her when she because she sort of tries to sing again doesn't she in the, yes and yeah. then when you see someone under in a difficult i always think it's fascinating to see, see someone in an uncomfortable situation because you get to see the vulnerable vulnerability of, the, of her and it, and all the emotions she's going through and then suddenly it gives it so much more depth i always think when you watch tv programs now compared to the uh, the 70s and 80s when you had kids on there and they didn't know how to act on TV yes. so you get these really pure responses and now yeah. you see yeah. children being taught and they're so media savvy and so used to being in front of the camera yeah. they know you don't get any it's really hard to break through that so how did you I mean that is something you come up against making documentaries as well is that um, and we try I mean so what we try to do with Ballad of Shirley Collins is at no point are we in a traditional sense behind the camera asking a question of Shirley who was sat in front of the camera looking into the lens we kind of tried yeah. to avoid that approach and so we chose a succession of people for her to talk to to have conversations with in front of the camera instead so um, Stuart Lee is in there who's a big Shirley Collins fan and then there are a couple of folk musicians one called Sam Amadon another called L Osborne and then there's a, another musician called David Tibet, who's part of an apoc apocalyptic folk um, he's music outfit he's incredible. Current 93. He's, he's quite something, is, is David. Um, and so we, we tried to engineer situations where she would be having a conversation, much like we are, having a conversation yeah. with somebody rather than feeling like she was being interviewed. Because I think the minute you do that, the minute you stick a camera in somebody's face and ask them a question, People just you do behave differently. Yeah, I'd, yeah. Your voice changes the whole thing, and also it's great to get the footage of when people who feel relaxed with people they know, because then their behaviour it changes a lot, and you get this these snippets of conversations which are yeah. sort of genuine rather than just someone trying to be polite to someone or make a good impression. I mean, the great thing about you know the the, the shift, it's my kind of filmmaking career goes back beyond the documentaries to short films that I made before that and the first shorts that I made were on actual film mm. 16 millimeter shot a couple of shorts on 35 millimeter which is insane and mm. very costly but this this shift into digital what it has its advantages with certainly with a documentary I think is that you can film for a long time and hopefully get a sense of them kind of forgetting you're in the room yeah, yeah. You can get to that, and people are relaxed, and you're not so precious about burning film and 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 getting. We've got to get this now in. Yeah, I mean, the film is terrifying. Up. I remember to do some student film, 
I don't know what I talked about before, where some bloke I've got one role, and I thought I hadn't read, I didn't realise it was on film, and I hadn't really learnt this speech properly. And thinking, well, I can't, I, I cannot make, up. I cannot yeah. make a mistake on this three minute monologue, it's and I'm the wrong actor to choose for a three minute monologue. Yeah, it's, but, the, digital is is has revolutionised documentary in that sense, I think. But in, in in on the other sort of side of the coin, you end up shooting. I bet you shoot tons. And I mean, how long? How much footage? How long did it take to make? And how long did it take to edit? It must have taken. I make a five-minute YouTube video yeah. with my dad, and the more I do it, the more I realise. Oh, I, I think I need to get that shot. I need to get that shot. And especially when you're didn't get enough coverage. Of that. Yeah, but yeah. then then when you do work with people, you know what coverage you need, and you're working with someone who's not used to being or doesn't understand. How films work, you're just thinking, oh, just say that in one fucking sentence. Yeah. But going through 45 minutes and just waiting for them just to think, have I got it? Have I got it? And then there'll be some sound problem. That, or <laughs> I can imagine the horror of making this of sitting through hours and hours of stuff. There, I mean, there is that, even with, uh, you know. You know, you say, "Can we do that again, please?" And it's like, "Well, didn't you get it that time?" Well, kind of, but not all of it. Yeah. And also, you know, it was out of focus, or it's all, you know, with, with a documentary, you can have a few more rough edges. It's kind of, it's a bit more forgiving in that way. But um, I mean, we shot hours and hours and hours of, of we totally overshot. So um, how and how long was the um, filming start to finish uh, process? Um, so the whole making of the film took three and a half years. Wow, um, of of mine and Rob's life and Shirley's life, um, and I mean, so there's there's two. I mean, there's two reasons why it, it took take takes that long. I mean, one was to do with the funding that we we originally did a Kickstarter campaign, which was very successful, and we got a, a nice lump sum to start the whole process. But that went ultimately, and then we would have to kind of wait and get little pots of money from here and there to be able to afford to do another day or two days filming so that that's another reason why it took a long time but it also took a long time because actually um and this is essential to the film that we've ended up making is that Shirley's story changed as we were making it as well so we we set out originally to make a film about a singer who didn't sing yeah and over the course of those three and a half years Shirley decides that she wants to try and sing again and then starts to record this album which is called Lodestar ultimately the, the album that she records and was released back end of not last year 2016 it came out the back end of 2016 and did really well did really well you know critically acclaimed all of that stuff she went out on tour with it as well which again she hadn't she hadn't toured for, she hadn't basically she hadn't recorded an album for 37 years that's incredible she's insane and so uh, but um, yeah, I think we'll talk, we'll talk more about that in in um, also the new podcast I'm doing is called Merrick Makes a Movie, which um, you can find I'll tweak details about, and I'm going to talk to Tim in more depth about Shirley Collins and the making of it, and the sort of more sort of technical aspects and difficulties of being a documentary maker. Um, but uh, this is on, this is showing now at. You've got how, what screenings has it got? Well, we we premiered at London Film Festival in um, October, which was great. You know, really happy with that. It was a kind of launching platform for the film. We always hoped that we that would be where we'd launch. Partly to do with you know the the English nature of of the film. We felt we wanted to definitely premiere here, and the, the London Film Festival is the, the best one you you can get into in in this country. 
and then off the back of that we did a, a, a cinema release which we we've been organizing ourselves um, self-distributed the film um, and then the screening you saw was part of the picture house discover Tuesday yeah. strand that they do so we were delighted that they picked us for their first discover Tuesday of this year um, and it's been touring all over the country since October really I, I mean I was in Birmingham uh, I said it like it was Birmingham, Alabama. You sound like you're not, American, sort no, of Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. Birmingham. I was in Birmingham last night um, for a screening, uh, and I went. I did an MA in Birmingham twenty years ago. Really? It was, really, it was really interesting to be back. And while the film was on, I didn't go and see the film last night. I had a walk up to the old street where I used to live and had a drink in a really nice old boozer, and then walked back and did the Q and A afterwards. But um, so we're almost out of screenings with it, but. There is one screening at the British Library this coming Saturday, which is the 19th, Saturday? Whatever, the 19th of January or 20th of January, one this, of those this, two. This Saturday coming, um, 2 o'clock at the British Library. It'll be the last screening in, in London on the big screen. Um, certainly, th we haven't got any in diary at the moment. And what's also interesting about this British Library gig is that Shirley's there as well. And she's, oh, great. She's going to do... She's got a new book coming out, which she's going to read extracts from and talk about that. And then in the evening, she's going to play live as well. Oh, so wow. It's a nice little um, Shirley Collins yeah. Saturday. And um, that'll be a, kind of a nice send-off for the film. Uh, and then the DVD will be out there later in... Uh, and what, and how, what platform would you put on? You're going to... Um, because Where the Morris, which is I, I really love, you can get on Vimeo. Yes, that's which on Vimeo. You can, there is also a DVD which has been re-released uh, at the end of last year, so it, you can get it on DVD. Um, and Shirley will be... It's actually going to be... This happened with Way the Morris as well for a month. Uh, Lush, the cosmetics company. Yeah. They have a, a Lush player online. Yes, the Lush player. Weird Way thing the to Morris. do. Oh, have a look. There's some good stuff on there. Uh, and Way of the Morris was the first film they'd ever streamed on it. And as a result of that, they're going to stream uh, The Ballad of Shirley Collins as well for a month, starting, I think, immediately after the screening on Saturday. I think it goes live on the Lush Player. So Lush month. Player? It's just the Lush Player, yeah. And people pay to go and see it on that? That's no, free. Free? Free, my friend. What are you getting out of it? Cosme you're getting cosmetics out of it. <laughs> I can't divulge. I hope you're getting how a many lot bath of bath bombs. bombs. I'm getting <laughs> out of that. Uh, it's a lot of bath bombs. One million bath bombs. <laughs> Lifetime supply. On sale on eBay. Yes. <laughs> of that little that banana cream that you can put on. I got a weird yeah. space one. That my girlfriend got me a bath bomb. Everybody loves lush, don't they? Yeah, Everyone it smells. It. I mean, you don't want to. You feel as though you don't deserve a bath bomb. You, know, you, you, you do, Marek. Yeah, I do. But I, I feel like I need to save it for when I'm, I'm real. <laughs> My daughter loves them, it's the problem, so I was never oh, really? saved to just go in. What, who's, put, who's put this bath bomb in here? I was so, ah, uh, okay. Watch it first. I remember the days of old matey boa bath, which used to give me a rash, but I still loved still so much it. Still used it. Yeah. The bottle was so <laughs> yeah. good, and get all the different characters. The great yeah. bottles. Um, so yes, yeah, so that the you can you will, you can watch it on the Lush player, uh, and then after that the DVD will be out. And there's a soundtrack album coming out uh, as well, so that it will rumble on 
Right. The Ballad of Shirley Collins. And then have you got uh, an idea for what you're going to do next? Uh, We've got a few ideas, yes. Documentaries or films? um, Me and Rob really enjoy working in the documentary format, but we'd like to twist it a little bit. We'd like to try and kind of, without giving, there's, there's certain elements of The Ballad of Shirley Collins, for instance, which are not wholly documentary, one might argue. Uh, yeah, kind of fabrication. Yeah, well, which was incredible. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about yeah. that in, in the yeah. Merit Makes yeah, movie yeah. thing. But yeah. definitely go and watch that. Um, but uh, you should see. Have you seen? Um, what was my favorite documentary last year was a half documentary, half half film about the girl who got killed in a young girl, the beauty queen who got murdered. Sounds hilarious. No, but they do a documentary. Um, where they get they cut the casting John Bonet. Right, I don't get no. It's absolutely it incredible. So it's a document it's a documentary maker, uh views might have talked have we talked about this before, where they go to the local town and they cast lo- loads of actors to play basically this um oh, okay. John Bonet was a beauty queen who got found m- murdered in this rich people's house. Right. Uh, and they yes. wrote a ransom okay. note. Apparently yeah. she got yeah. about ten years yeah. ago. And they cast lots of actors to play the mother and the father and the, the child as if they're doing it. And then they oh, okay. interview the actors afterwards. Yes. And because they're all local, they've all got stories about who they thought and what they bring to the character. So they do the same scene with different people. Play. As a documentary okay, maker, yeah. I think okay. you just think, I thought you'd taken this genre and made it absolutely fascinating. I think That's it's on a, Netflix or something, like, okay. or maybe I bought it. But that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. You would... I mean, the idea uh, Louis Theroux did something similar with the one he did about Scientology. I don't know if you saw that. I'm not seeing one. Because yeah, yeah. they couldn't actually get access to the Stephen McVeigh, I think his name is, the kind of the head honcho. So they they act, they got actors to play him, and there was they showed the casting process. And okay. Like that. And there's also a great film that I saw last year, which again I can't remember what it was called, but it was about there was a newsreader in America in the states who shot herself. I've heard about TV. yeah, yeah. And last year there was a. A biopic about it which came out yeah. with Peter Hall's daughter in it but there was also this documentary which again had an actress playing her and they followed her as she researched the role and so I, yeah I mean documentary in the last I think five ten years uh, has been has produced the most interesting work that I've seen I, because yeah. I just think it's a bit more fluid it's not so rigid in terms of what you're allowed to do and yeah. three act structures and all of that stuff uh, most narrative fiction seems to me to become really quite totally turgid and and, and and you know there's no point I think w- something weird's going to happen yeah whereas you know doc, doc seem, seems much more loose and it's because that there's that one word for it you know there's one word it's documentary whereas with fiction it gets broken down into is it a comedy is it a drama yeah. or is it a thriller and it's like well why can't documentary get broken down into different compartments that's very well? interesting yeah um, so I just yeah I mean I think we, we want to continue working in in this realm but certainly not in what people probably would consider traditional documentary cool well, well let's well, we, there'll be more chat about this in, in, in the other podcast but let's move on now I'm not going to do the letters section because we've not got any We've got Christmas. a couple. I'm saving right. them up for. Oh, yeah. um, okay. um, so we're going to talk about Martin McDonough's three billboards in a fear. I should really get the title right. Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. Three billboards is, in a. Said, it's not, it's is a it in a field or three billboards? No, you've added that. 
That's, too, that's getting too long. Three billboards in the field. I think he probably said originally a field and an exec said... Mate, you know, gonna, the amount of font space it's going to take. Yeah. See, in a documentary, you'd be allowed to put that in, in a field in outside. Is it maybe it has well, it, we, we in a field put, outside? You wouldn't put oh in a field. It's, no, it's outside Ebbing, Missouri, but not in a field. But let's just get this right because I don't want people going to see the wrong film, which is very has a very similar title, <laughs> which could be. Um, see, people thought Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was too long a title, but it's you know perfect. Just remembered it like that. That is a good point. Whereas I can't remember it, what happened it? to the Morgans, whatever that is. Anyway, three billboards outside Ebbing, comma Missouri. There no we field. go. No field. But it is in that they are in a field. Yeah, I mean... You've given, you've given that away. Then, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> the billboards are in a field. Um, you went, there's three of them. I the, could tell you that. There are three. So don't you bother going seeing see it. But you went to the premiere of this. Yes, I did. So there is a connection to the Ballad of Shirley Collins here quite nicely because uh, Three Billboards was also at the London Film Festival. So because we were there with the Ballad of Shirley Collins, we got um, invited to the... To the, I think it was the European premiere. I think it okay. premiered in the US. So what? And are all the stars there, or some of them there? Who was there? Let me think. Who was there? Um, Sam Rockwell was there. Um, Francis. Oh really? So Francis herself. Was all there. the big cheeses. Uh, McDonough was there. Um, uh, quite a lot of them were there. I think. Um, little Peter Dinklage was there. Little, <laughs> and he, he. Wants to be referred to as Little Peter English. Um, I, I can neither. Have you met him? Because you, do you know well, him from the Game what, of Thrones? Well, or not? so interestingly, there is an interesting story about the premiere of Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Ebbing. No, where's the comma? Missouri. It's after Ebbing, yeah. Um, because Dinklage was in town for the premiere, there were a lot of Game of Thrones people outside around the red carpet. And so when okay. I turned up to go. To see uh, the film with with Rob, my co-director, people yeah. started shouting at me. And, oh, and, of course, they recognise you from. And Rob said to me, "I think there's somebody over there you know, Tim. They're shouting your name." I said, "I don't know. I don't know who that is." And then they started waving Game of Thrones oh, really? stuff at me. So I actually got kind of in, in a bit of a kind of melange. Of, wow! Scrummage. Did you play? What did you play? One of the wall, wall? Uh, Black Walder Rivers. His name is. Are you still alive? No, I'm in a pie. I got I got killed. Of course, and yeah. Bit like the blackbirds in the summer yeah. in the children's nursery rhyme, um, but yeah. So I had a little um, feeding frenzy, which was in you know I I haven't encountered that often in my life, and it's quite a, it is it's quite scary even on the small scale that I had it. I can't you know yeah. But basically, I, I was saying all the time, don't worry, Dinklage is uh, is here. He is in the building. He'll wow. be out in a minute. I can sign this if you want. But there is somebody more famous coming out in a second. In fact, Brian, I've just seen Brian Cranston. He'll be out in a second. Cranston's please, can, there. please, can I go now? I just want to go and see this film. It's pretty horrible, friend. isn't it, when that happens when you're not expecting it? My own experience is a show called Impractical Jokers. Yes. Which is, uh, and when that came out, I didn't realise that any, specifically groups of, basically, be male. Black male young people would stop. I was going over, just stop in cars, go, mate, mate, come out. And I would just think, I mean, he's probably racist when you're thinking that I'm going to get mugged. You know, just see a car break and go, oh, mate, come over here. Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Instinctively, I'm going to (laughs) run. That's that's from, that comes from growing up in the 70s on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, yeah. It's still ingrained in you. Luckily, everyone has forgotten. Um, But I mean, you are, I know this is a purely 
audio medium that we're working in here. But yeah. you, you are you you've got a distinctive face. Uh, yeah, I think people do remember easily spotted. Yeah, so that's when I, I I've my story I always tell people is when um, uh, I've told this a hundred times before, but um, oh, I was on one times. I was on the tube. My nephew came to stay with me because he had been to London. Uh, my step nephew. He was about 15, 16, he came to stay. And his show called Impractical Jokers has been out. And there was, it was a, it's a prank show where there's, um, it's based on an American show, but there's a British version, where you have a, three people give instructions to the other fourth joker to go and do these pranks. Right. Anyway, the prank this week was to win the prank. They had an all-you-can-eat buffet they put on. And you had to go out to this buffet and steal food from people's plates. And you get a point <laughs> from each item you stole from their plate. And everyone else had done it. And I walked up to this girl and she was sort of quite a big black girl on her plate. And I just picked up her plate and I scraped the whole thing onto my plate. And then I took the fork out of her hand and I put, <laughs> I, I ate the thing off the fork. And that's so why I won you this won. task. That's it. That's all, that, that's the anyway, way, yeah. you think no, that's fine, that's fine. So you got on the train. I was taking my brother back from Highgate to, my stepbrother, step-nephew to Highgate to Waterloo. I got on the train at Highgate. All the seats are taken apart from, so we're standing up. But we're the only people standing up. Yeah. And there are two, further down the carriage are two youths. So you know the youth who speak like this, but they're not like, they're not black kids, they're just speaking like this. Yeah, yeah, from the, from the hood. They're from yeah, the, from the hood. And they went, yeah. oh, there's that bloke, there's that bloke, there's that bloke from that thing. Yeah, mate. And then everyone turns to look at me and they go, there's that bloke. And, there's a bloke who nicked that food off that black girl's plate. <laughs> There's no reference to any TV programme. No, no. just He's just the guy who's nicked the food yeah. off, off specifically. And they kept on saying, he went up to this black girl. She's just sitting there. <laughs> so it looks like I'm... And also, so I'm going red and sweating. I'm with a sort of 15-year-old... Are they filming you as well? No, no. no. They're, they're, I'm with a sort of 15, 16-year-old boy. So it looks a bit weird. So why is he with this sort of... Yeah. And... I've just literally got no... I've shaved my head and I've got no... So I look like a... Sort of weird, like yeah, a baby. A little neo-Nazi sort of baby. Yeah. And then they get off Archway and everyone is just talking and just almost tutting, thinking, who is that guy who basically steals... Specifically targets black people and steals <laughs> their food. Steals food. So I bought a... Ba- I literally dropped my nephew off, bought a baseball cap. Never that get on the train it. without a baseball cap normally. Anyway, that's a that's a, we we are going off on a tangent. So but while we're on, while we're off on this tangent, yeah. this has made me think of another amusing Game of Thrones anecdote. Go for it! I yeah, really, I haven't shared with anybody really, and Stuart Lee told me this. Yeah, so there's a Ballad of Shirley Collins connection as well. Just now, see what I'm doing. I keep this bringing is, it around. Bring it all back round, yeah. Um, so the 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 actor I always call him the actor Kevin Eldon. Yeah, fist of fun. He was always known as the yeah. actor Kevin Eldon. Uh, Kevin Eldon's been in Game of Thrones as well, twice in fact, playing two different roles. He's in a pl- the play one, isn't he? In the yeah, play, and then he, he was back. He was in the last series as well. I've not seen the last one yet. Okay. Jam, jammy. Think of all those well, repeat things. <laughs> well, so Kevin Eldon appeared in it twice. And apparently, somebody came up to uh, Kevin Eldon recently and asked him if they could get his autograph, and yeah, a photo. Could you sign this, please, Kevin? And it was a photo of me. Not, it wasn't a photo. Wow. Of what and I what? don't know is whether Kevin signed it or not. If you're listening, Kevin, write in and let us know. Did you sign the picture or not? Because I don't think we look that similar, no. but Alan Bennett and um, David Hockney 
think about those two for a second. Quite similar. Yeah, I think you are. No, but they like... have those two have a written understanding. Oh really? Because apparently it happens quite a lot. Oh really? Hockney will get asked by somebody, "Oh, Mr. Bennett, could you sign this for me?" They sign it as the wow. person they're not. Wow. There you go. So you might have a, a Alan Bennett, which is actually a David Hockney. Absolutely. Signature somewhere. Yeah. They'd probably be worth probably more. Be worth more. Yeah, you yeah. want to get those. Which also makes me think of completely off topic. There was a period back in the nineties when the. Um, the Chaz and Dave Tribute Act, yeah, they're called Daz and Chave. Yeah. I don't know if they're still going. <laughs> uh, it was more expensive. They were, they were sorry, yeah, they, it was more expensive to book Daz and Chave than it was to actually book the real Chaz and Dave. Wow, it's probably not the case anymore. I have a thing where there's a, a I can't remember who it is. One of um, King Henry VIII's wives. There's a picture of her, which looks exactly. Cleves Seymour. I think it's Anne Boleyn. Is it Jane Seymour? It looks exactly like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it literally, did, especially about ten years ago. Really? Yeah. Henry VIII's wives. Marwood. Mar- so if I'd have been around then, I would have made oh a sh- shitload of cash. Just for those who. Um, I'm what I'm doing. Mark I mean, I can currently edit this looking out. on his uh, iPhone. Uh, sorry, smartphone. I shouldn't. Maybe can't. Say there that. we go. Is that the one? That's Berlin, isn't it? Anne Berlin. We're looking at something that you can't see. It's a picture of Anne Berlin, and then if you look. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. Look it up. Who's the Who's the artist on that? So we can point people. I don't know. I'll put it. I'll, right. If you look up six wives of Henry the Eighth, um, top left. Top left. There she is. It, it does look. Berlin. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. So luckily I'm not wasn't around then. Well, no, no, but I've been good. Imagine what else. There weren't many good jobs back then. Being a Berlin lookalike. Oh, I would have got loads. Been good. Yeah. yeah. I had to wear a bra with fake. Yeah. You know. Were, everything was tied down then anyway, wasn't it? So. Well, yeah. If you were an actor back then, you had to tie it all down and play yeah. women. Didn't allow women on the stage. Then, <sighs> a lot more work. To, well, Henry. Do you know what Henry VIII was a really big fan of Morris Johnson. This maybe we have struck upon them. The, this Being show links film. in every single every film I've ever made. Yeah, it's a bit a like, the, it's sort of like a Kevin Bacon yeah. element to this. Why is the Morris available on Vimeo and also on DVD? Please purchase a copy immediately. Um, so we'll talk about three billboards then. So yes, oh, yes, I went to, um, <laughs> I went to the premiere of that. Is it weird <laughs> going to premiere because uh, they've obviously seen it loads of times and having. Is the reaction, do you think, is... Obviously, it's full for a start, and most cinema screens aren't full. And is everyone yeah. quite deferential and clapping? There's a lot more clapping, I imagine. There was. It was. It's interesting. I don't often go to... So it was at the Odeon Leicester Square, and I was up in the... the um, What do you call it? Best seats? No, it wasn't gods. the best seats. But yeah, up in the gods. But in the second tier. Okay. In the balcony. So um, there's a lot of people in there. Yeah. And everyone's on their best behaviour, and there's a lot of people there who get dressed up, yeah, and probably haven't been to a film premiere before, so everyone wants to um, clap and laugh in all the right places, and 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 it's 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 a very different experience to just going to see the yeah. bed of Shirley Collins and with twelve people, down, yeah, twelve people like you did, including a, a mad 
rich woman you were saying who oh I've got to say that some posh woman kept w- shouting at the a mental woman shouting at you yeah. yeah as if, as if Shirley could hear her <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about other, the other one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's get let's stay on on track with so what, yeah, so Ebbing, Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, I've only seen a few. Not a real place. I've been seen a few sort of comedy um, festival films where it's been a really what's a partisan crowd, and you're you automatically lift. You feel uplifted and think the film is probably a bit better than it is. Nonetheless, I think this is I think this is a absolutely fascinating film. So Martin McDonough, he made he's a playwright. Um, there's a great podcast I listen to called on the way here called Colonel, which they interview him. All right, yeah. And he did In Bruges, which I love, Seven Psychopaths, which is all all right. And he even talks about that being all him. Right. Not, he yeah. he admits that that film didn't go right. Um, three billboards is sort of back up to the In Bruges standard, I think. Well, it's actually the, it's actually the first film of his that I've seen, but I know his um, I know his theatre work. Oh, okay. Um, because this kind of connects to what I was talking about when I was at Birmingham doing my MA 20 years ago was when McDonough first kind of broke on the scene. So I went to see his first film, which is called The Beauty Queen of Leanne, I think. And then there's another film called The Cripple of Inishmore. Both of those I saw back mm-hmm. in the day when they were first on. Uh, and then he had a play on called Hangmen uh, in town. Ta- in, in, Leicester Square about two or three years That's ago. Quite famous, wasn't it? Friends of mine were in that. So oh, really? I to yeah. See that as well. Um, so I've seen, I've kind of followed his theatre career and been aware of his theatre work, but actually haven't dipped into his film stuff until um, Three Billboards, basically because I had a free ticket. And they're similar. Can you tell? Can you say that's the same writer? Um, what I'm actually interested in, before you arrived, I was l- just looking it up, um, because his plays, certainly his early plays, are all set in um, rural Ireland. Um, and his parents are Irish. He was born uh, in Camberwell, I think. But he's, he's, he comes from Irish heritage. So his plays, his early plays, were all about tapping into that. And it's a, a real rural quality to them, which I guess maybe appealed to me even then if you look at what I've ended up doing now with the, the films that I've done about rural um, idols, etc. I mean, actually, the, the, they're not idols in, in his plays. They're quite dysfunctional mm. family units in the back end of Beyond in Ireland with the wind howling. Uh, but he's re- he wrote his first play that he wrote set in America. I can't remember what it's called, but I'm quite interested to maybe check that out. Yeah. Uh, I think what you, what you get from Three Billboards, or what I got from it anyways... Um, there's a lot of talking in it for a film, um, and it feels like somebody. It's. I mean, it doesn't. Oft, it doesn't always work. I don't re- think a playwright turning to film, but this did for me. Uh, but at the same time, it felt very written, but in a, but in a good in a good way. It felt like somebody confident enough to write um, a, a, a tight, funny script. And yeah. it also felt like somebody, and maybe this comes from somebody who's worked in the theatre as well, it felt like a director who was very willing to give his performers um, a certain amount of rope, if you like, to kind of run with this. I think that's what, uh, uh, in, really interesting in this podcast beforehand, um, uh, um, but I think you should, anyone should, should listen to that, because there's an interview with him saying, how he's talking about it, saying right. that he, he doesn't really like theatre, because right. it, it, there's no permanence there, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, he 
admitted he wanted to create a sort of catalogue of work that he was proud of. Yeah. And he liked the fact that in Bruges you could show that to his kids in 20 years' time and they would st- it would still be there. Yeah. And he was talking about working, he liked to work with the same actors and give them room. And he said he didn't give any, Colin Farrell any notes in Bruges. Yeah. And he said Francis McDormand, he, said he, he talked about having, actually, he said, he, sort of, he said that it was quite difficult at times working with her because she was quite stubborn. Yes. But he was talking about giving his actors that trust into to perform and the cast is it's a stellar uh, cast yeah, yeah, yeah everyone is and they're just uh, Francis McDormand is amazing yeah Sam yeah. Rockwell is amazing uh, Woody Harrelson is amazing you know yeah. just even Woody's and all really, the minor characters yeah. are all it's got little uh, Pink, Peter Linklage is amazing <laughs> little Peter I, to that one of my, my probably my only criticism of it is and I don't mean this as a terrible pun but I could have done with more Dinklage yeah it I went, thought it was slightly underused the Dink and it felt like it, the whole they made almost too much of the midget thing. Yeah. I just thought, I think it's, you wouldn't talk to someone, there's no way. Because he lives in the town, they all, they just must know him as as that guy, they almost don't see him yeah. as Yeah, well a like in Pembridge growing up there was a, 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 I mean you can't say midget, can you say dwarf, I'm really sorry, I don't know what the etiquette is. But you just, you say, first of all, you sort of notice them and think that then, that's perfectly normal. Just a per a person where I thought it was he must have got pissed off thinking I'm being referred yeah, I mean, to as that old way long for the role where it just it can just play a character and not have any reference to. Well, in Game of Thrones, it sort of got to the point now. I think he's been instrumental. You just you just think there's no you don't care about the fact. Yeah. In the first series, they sort of mentioned it a bit now, yeah. and now you don't. You think, oh, I'd, I love that character. He's a brilliant character. Yeah, you you don't um, yeah you don't um, which is great see him as a, as a small person anymore. Yeah, I think people have done yeah. So that's I do agree with you that that that, that was a one thing for me. And what's the other thing is John that, Hawkes is in it as well. He's one of my favourite actors. Which he one plays, is he? Uh, he plays the husband or the ex-husband, the father of the. Oh, he he chooses some amazing films, doesn't he? he? Hawkes is just yeah. I mean, most people don't know his name, but he kind of he pops up. All over the place, in in, and he's always excellent. And he's, he's in that Mary, maybe, yeah. it's, maybe, maybe it's Maybelline. That's but. a great film. Yeah, yeah. That, Mary Marley. Is there a comma in that one? Are they in a field? Mary Magdalene. Mary, Mary ma- maybe. Four of them. Martha. 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 Maybe, maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah, yeah. He's in that. He's brilliant in that. He's, but yeah, he's he was in Deadwood as well, the TV series. He's an old actor who's got who's got, looks strangely young, but he's a. If you think of him as t- really Winter's Bone, is he in? Yeah, he's brilliant. Really he's skinny. Winter's Bone. Abnormally yeah. skinny man. Yeah, he's kind of he's what? He's almost Wiry. the American Mackenzie Crook in that respect. Yes. He looks slightly kind of uh, shrink wrapped. His skin has been slightly shrink wrapped onto his skeleton. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, John Hawkes. He's yeah, he's one of my. Everyone's favorites. brilliant in it, and yeah. also the he's got the kid in it who was in. Um, Manchester by the Sea as well, who I really like. The um, yes, he's great. The he plays a daughter. There's a guy who from Get Out in it. The young, the young uh, brother in Get Out. He plays the advertising guy. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's really good. And for me, if it was quite, I thought it started off. And I thought this is going to be a slow. I totally wrong. I didn't realise it was Martin McDonough. For, I didn't realise who the director was from the start. Well, that's a good thing. Which is great. Yeah. I thought this is going to, three billboards. This is going to be a slow, sort of ponderous. Just people putting up the paper paper. Yeah, how much can this be on about this? But then it, a lot happens, a lot of action. He's not yeah. scared to turn up the drama 
an almost every single scene in it really it's is very it? untheatrical in that yeah. respect you know there's a lot of locations a lot happens it whips through it's not you know two people in a room for 90 minutes no in the traditional theater play there's a lot a lot going on um and i read an interview with him where he talked about and i love this about him and i get, i think you get the feel from the film that we were talking earlier about how mainstream um, narrative films have become quite you know predictable and uh, this never quite feels like that and I think he talked about the fact that he didn't he allowed this is what you hear you hear playwrights saying this a lot but you never hear a film scriptwriter say this he the he said the characters surprised him with what they were going to do next he didn't structure the film he created the characters and the world and then he was constantly surprised at what they wanted to say or what they wanted to do next which I remember the first time I, I, I remember reading Harold Pinter when I was you know again 20 25 years ago he talked about that a lot that if you're if you're if you get the ingredients right the characters start talking to you and you don't need to manipulate them and he said he, the plotting of this film is, was very much came from Oh right, you're going to do this next, aren't you? I didn't think you were. Are you going to go in and do that to the dentist? Mm. Yeah, of course you are. Brilliant. All right, we'll do that. I felt genuinely surprised because I think, without realising it, the more films you watch, the more you are your brain gets trained into that three act arc bullshit that you just you know what's going to happen at the end of it before it even start. You know the twenty seven minute point. You know your you, you feel know, bored without realising why you're bored you know at some point the empire or the first order or whatever they're going to call themselves are going to get some kind of big weapon which is going to destroy something but takes quite a long time to power up for some reason i mean they do they do just enough time to power up for you the rebels to take it out just only just enough time though yeah but there's no point putting defenses for small ships, like size of the bus ships, because what can they, do? what no, can they do? No, I mean if you look historically back, yeah, at what those kind of small ships have done to not just one but two Death Stars. Yeah. Why would you set up then in the future some way of kind of? But this supercannon only takes half an hour to build. It's only half an There's hour. There's no way they're going to get past. They'd need at least six spaceships. I mean, to... they can jump to hyperspace, but it takes half an hour to fire this bad boy. Yeah, up. but the, the brakes are really great in hyperspace. You can jump a million miles, and you can stop within two or three meters. Or something. The yeah. the braking system they've got is phenomenal. Phenomenal, when we're doing isn't those, it? Yeah. We're doing those yeah. hyperspace brakes. <laughs> stop. Really good. Yeah. I mean, the rubber must be at least. They can stop so, it on, a, on yeah. a dime. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know in the future. Um, anyway, so what? Did in you, the past, though, isn't it? Oh yeah. Oh, did gosh. Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy it though? Did you think it was? Did you? What, yeah, what, I did. What I did, did you I mean, feel I, when you left the cinema? Um, I, I mean, I loved the ending for a start. Oh, you, really? You come out. I just, just yeah, just you don't. You don't. Some mainstream films don't end like that. Yeah, I thought it felt like it was going to end about three or four times, and then it ended. <laughs> that was one thing I thought. Is this the ending? Is this? You could have ended it here. You could have ended it here. Or you're going to end it. I mean, I, 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 I had in. It was the last. It was the last film that I saw at the My festival. Apologies. And uh, I think if, if I'm honest about my response to it when I came out, and in fact somebody stopped me afterwards that I know. There's an actor called uh, Andy Nyman, uh, who was actually in the McDonough play Hangmen that was yeah. on, 
he was in the crowd that night as well and he was buzzing after seeing it and he stopped me and said wow it's amazing wasn't it and I, I think my memory of it was it was good but yeah it was a bit it was a bit mainstream for me but that was because I'd just spent two weeks at the film festivals sniffing out the more obscure stuff that I knew wasn't going to get yeah, yeah. released that's, that's what I tend to do um, I, I'll go and find the, the kind of the Uruguayan that's great low though. budget kind of um, thing about two blokes um, fishing in, in Montevideo for 90 minutes of one shot was that take. good <laughs> I'm making that one up <laughs> well, that would be a good one um, but yeah so actually my initial response to it was um, it was it, yes it was good but it was a bit mainstream for my personal tastes which I, I think, probably still stand by but yeah. if I'm going to if you're going to if I'm going to sit and watch a mainstream film then this is the one that I would choose to watch I really enjoyed it I mean yeah. I love Frances McDormand I mean she's just oh, she, anything she's in is worth your time have you, ever, have you seen a TV show she did called Olive Kittredge I've read the HBO. book the book is yeah, the book well, is brilliant. She, I mean, she's brilliant. That's the one people. So people, when they talk about this film, often talk about is you know it's the best thing she's done since Fargo. Uh, but in the in between those two things is Olive Kittredge, which I haven't seen anyone else particularly talk about. Oh, because I read well. the, I read the book and I thought what an amazing character. I I heard they've done it, but that oh, that it's must France, be brilliant because the book, the book yeah, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And so she must be. Uh, she is brilliant in it. It's got and again it's got a really good cast in it. It's got Richard Jenkins in it. Do you know Richard Jenkins? We talked about Richard Jenkins. My friend Beth talked about. Uh, he's is a big fan of his. Uh, he is in the Shape of Water. Yes, I'm looking for. He's a sort of person that, yeah. who's just now. People are just because I saw him in Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, and you see him, you think, yeah. oh, he's a guy who's always brilliant. Yeah, he's been brilliant for about twenty years. Yes, and now people are starting to say. For the first oh, time, Richard Jenkins, Richard Jenkins yeah. rather than oh that guy, that guy from, who is who is, he was that, and, yeah. it was that minor <laughs> part in the thing that you, you you're never really going to get leads, and then you think I think he's so good. Is yeah. he? So I haven't seen Shape of Water yet. Did, without giving too much away, is he sat down a lot in it, or is he stood up? No, um, Shape of Water. It's not. Um, oh, do you want? Do you need to get your phone? No, we'll leave that to ring over there. Um, I saw a preview copy of it. I can't imagine talk about this. It's um, maybe I'll talk about it in a few weeks. Yeah, it's basically, but there was a period. What I'm saying is, there was a period in Jenkins's work. I haven't just, seen his last few things, but there was one film I saw. I think it, it. I can't remember what it was called. I think James Gandolfini was in it as well. So you can kind of correlate those two and find this film. But Jenkins is sat down in every scene, and it struck me as a man of a certain age. He just said. Do you know, I think I'll be great. I think he sat down in this, in this one. He was always in a bar, so somebody would come in to scenes, and he'd already be in there, sat at the bar. And then there was one scene where he was in a car, and somebody came to him in the car, and I felt like that had been written like two people meet on a street, and Jenkins had said, "Mate, I think maybe I'm, he's in a car, maybe." He's driven, and, and the director hasn't and got then, enough strength to say. But you've, have you done that so on a set just, when you? No, wait. I could just be sat down again. I just think I've done that on things which I've. You know, no, no, just when there's a costume thing in it and you realise, or you try not to have a glued moustache on. Oh, if you can avoid that. You just say, I think my character would not have it, would just be, or I think you would just be normal, like, roughly shaven this. It'd look just like me, probably, and wear my clothes. Yeah, that's and anything really it. uncomfortable, costume, I mean, you do it not for your own bed. I don't think, if you know it's going to be really hot in some studio thing, I don't think he'd wear that. I think he just feels like he'd wear this. <laughs> He so might have shorts on, actually, I was yeah. thinking for this. I think he would drink... 
think you get a cough in this character every sort of every half an hour, and he'd only say very small. But it's just facial reactions, really. I don't think you'd say that. Just too much dialogue. To, we yeah. just strip all this out, actually. I can do that in a look. No need to say any of that. Yeah, okay, happy. All right, thanks. Bye. I think um, Francis did that a bit with um, McDonough. It'd be she fascinating tried, she tried to see. To yeah. Strip some stuff out and just say, look, I don't need to say that. I can. There's a bit where she where she first sees the three billboards. Yes. And she's thinking about what to do. And it's. I always thought. Uh, Doing, I always do way too much. If <laughs> you can't control my face, like some gurning twat, and seeing her thinking about it in the car, without having to do overplaying it, it's yeah, it's, it's masterful, right at the top isn't of the film. it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one thing I there was, um, did you know that there, there was a bit? There was a bit in the film where there was a kind of sub theme of people getting stuff splattered in their face. It ran through. Yeah, I didn't even think of it. Yeah, the the first thing that somebody gets in there. So, so Harrelson spits blood in her face. Yeah. So she gets something on her face, then she flicks some Cheerios. Yeah. The boy, so he gets something in the face, and there's one before somebody else gets something. You're right. There is a lot of face splattering. What's all that about? (sighs) Must be some deviant, some deviant stuff, isn't it? I, I Check out the third one. I can't remember what it is now, but they're in quite close proximity and kind of the, in the the central part of the film. Must the be spine some of the movie theme. There's a there's a theme he's playing at with there, which I I'm not quite I'm quite got to grips with what what the subtext of it is. Why not write in? You can write in to dear uh, film fandango at gmail dot com. Click on contact on the um, film uh, fandango dot co dot uk. Website. You can follow us on Twitter, or you can follow. Uh, t- are you on Twitter? Yes. You are joint at way. It's at way of the Morris. At way of the Morris, or at Marek Larwood. I don't tweet very often, but yeah. And how would you find out about um, the Ballad of Shirley Collins? Is there a website you've got? A, a website is called. I think it's called um, the Ballad of Shirley Collins dot com or Shirley Collins Movie dot com. I think either of those will take you to the to the website, and there's a Facebook page. I'll put a link to it on the Facebook page. Um, how many uh, Tims, which is, which is what we do, give things marks out of 10. How many yeah. Tims out of 10 for for um, the three billboards in the, not outside, three billboards. No, three billboards they outside. They are outside, but they're not in, they, I mean, they're not they in, are they're in the field, field, but it's not in the title. Three billboards in the f- e- Ebbing, Missouri. It's interesting. Inter- this is something I personally hate when I and, I and you get it a lot when you go market, to film festivals. Things. No, you see, I, I almost hit people in in cinema sometimes. What? When when so I've been to I, this would have happened at three billboards when I saw it at the film festival because yeah. you get a lot of uh, critics are in there. The yeah. first thing they say to each other is the film as the credits are going up. I'll give it a oh, that's probably about a three and a half. You don't you don't have to give it. An, I'll can give, I'll give it a mark. I'm gonna say. Seven, and that's quite good for me. I think I would give it eight, Marix. Yeah, I thought about eight, and I went that down. I backed off to seven. I think it's a high... Uh, to, seven yeah, and a mi- half. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Should I'm, we meet I'm at a, seven and a half? Well, I would give it eight. eight. I, I, I would go, go a high... Down. I would go oh. 8.3 or something oh, like that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Anyway, thank you. But please don't, don't, don't be rating films... That's what well. That's what we've been doing for the last five years. All right. Yeah. Okay. 
And now I feel it's sorely just when you spent dirty. three and a half years making a film, and somebody, somebody the and first thing they do is give it a marker. And that's what it is. Basically, your yeah. film is a number, yeah, a decimal give a number. number. Yeah, give that a number out of ten. Move on to the next thing. People have to categorise things though to understand them. I think. Don't they? Yeah. Um, well, on that melancholy note, I'm not judging you. I deserve to be judged, and judged poorly. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. And remember, everyone, keep watching the films. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.